Testament. Turn with me to John, the third chapter. I want to continue on something that, the week, that I started the week before when Tracy was here. Now, that is, you must be born again, and I'll just give a quick connection and move on into where we are now. The question was posed to me by the Holy Spirit about a week or so ago, and that I knew it was the Lord when he said, is there a difference between being saved and being born again? I was doing a pastor's retreat right after that. I asked a question to them, and no one, I said, no one of not any of the 50 leaders, pastors there, had, had ever had that question. The only person that raised her hand was Diane. And it wasn't because I cued her in either. That I think that we can find there is some scriptural difference, although I will not say that one being saved does not in, go into heaven. Because we have the case of the thief on the cross when he asked Jesus to forgive him his sins or acknowledge his sin, he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. The only thing is, he didn't say, oh, you're a son, this day you'll be in paradise. Simply that you, can come, you, that you will be with me in paradise. It is quite possible that a person could be saved and not move any farther towards having a relationship with Jesus and miss out on a huge inheritance that's there. I remembered a, a dream that uh, someone told us one time that is one of the few dreams that I really believed was authentic when it related to heaven. And this person had died and, and uh, was dead for several minutes. And he tells about, he goes into heaven and he sees people there that had died before, that was in his family, that had died before that he had ever, uh, was, he was born. In other words, he didn't know who they were. But when he saw them, he realized it was an uncle that he had never remembered before. And the uncle was just dressed in regular clothes as he would on earth. And they talked for a little bit. He said, I don't know what we said, but then we moved on. But I noticed that there was people out in the distance that had these white, translucent robes on that you could see through, but you couldn't see physical bodies through them. They were just glowing. And he said, I wanted to go where they were going. And I realized, because in heaven you know things that no one had to tell you about, you just understand them, because they communicated in a spiritual way, not having to be processed cerebrally based on our experience and our knowledge bank. And he said, I knew that there was a place way up there that was lit up, like had lit up the whole sky, and everybody wanted to go there. And he said, I understood that was the city of God. So there were people that were in heaven but they weren't going, they couldn't get into the city of God. It was his dream, not mine. So it's possible that one could be saved, but not enter into the fullness of all that God has. Because Hebrews says he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, not a half-heartedly seeker. That's my words. Those who diligently seek him, that he's a rewarder. We know that Jesus in his parables used it a lot of that in terms of the talents, he said, the one that had the one talent buried it. He said, you won't receive any more. He called him unfaithful servant. But those who had taken what they'd had and put it out to some sort of return investment of it, he said, enter into the joy of the Lord. So is it possible for one to be a nominal believer that I believed in Jesus, got a little fire insurance, prayed a prayer years ago, but I haven't done anything more about that? Then when I stand before the Lord, is there no, there's no reward there. I mean, I think heaven will be better than hell at any point. 
that I don't want to waste any of my time here on the earth just knowing that I won't go to hell, but I want to know that I want to go into his fullness, into the glory where the Lamb is the light. And the throne room and the presence of God is just overwhelming. I don't know what is there. I don't know what all take place. But I have a strong sense that everything we walk out here on earth that will be rewarded in heaven. So he talks about there in, in uh, Revelations 12 where the books are open. Psalms 139, the books are open, plural. So it's not just the book of life, but there's books that where things are written about us here on the earth that are our potential. So I want to encourage you this morning that as whatever you sow into the kingdom of God, and I'm not talking financially. When you use the word sow, immediately people think I'm talking about money. I'm not. Your life has more value than anything money-wise. Sow your life into the kingdom of God. Why spend time worrying about things that are going to pass away and it's not going to have any value at all when it's over and done with? But when you sow yourself into the kingdom of God and see the values that he says is valuable, if you've given a cup of cold water in his name, you've done it to, as you've done it to him. So we see things that G, that's rewarded in that. So there's parables that speak of the trustworthiness so when the Son of Man comes back in all of his glory, and there's one parable said, you've been faithful with this, you're going to be a ruler over one, uh, one city, ten cities, on like that. So when he sets up his kingdom, new, his new Jerusalem, wherever that's at, new heaven and new earth, however that falls into the place with that, then there's place for people that have lived their life out as unto the Lord and not lived themselves out as unto themselves. Very narcissistic is saying, what's in it for me? We're in a time where the gospel ha- is so, has so much me in it that it's lost out the Jesus out of it. What's in it for me? I'm married to Jesus for his money. I'm married to this. If, I'm pros- if you give me a reason to do it, I'll do it. In other words, if I do certain things, I'm getting such rewarded. What if there's no reward at all for doing anything except under the Lord would he be enough? Do we have to be bribed to tithe? Do we have to be bribed to serve? Do we have to be bribed for any other reason? Do we have to be given a title or a a place of notability or something like that to get people to serve? I don't think, I hope not. There should be a relationship with Jesus in such a personalized way that says, I'm sowing there no matter what happens to me here. I'm not going to live my life circumstantially what's taking place here and base it on happiness or which we are happy when things go right but the joy of the lord even is sur- surpasses happiness happiness is an emotion that's that is so temporary but joy is of the spirit of god it is an eternal value of who the lord is so i'm going to look in john 3 real quick and i'll pick up some uh, parts here and then we'll move forward with that jesus starts a conversation with nicodemus who, by the way, was a, a ruler in the synagogue and was known as, a, as we'd say today, a scholar. And Jesus is chiding him to some degree about how come you don't know these things that I'm talking about. And he picks it up in, in, uh, in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, hierarchical. This man came to Jesus by night because he didn't want anybody else to see that he's talking to Jesus. He came to him and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I recognize 
by what you do that there's God-likeness on you. Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is another birth besides the birth that you know of, Nicodemus. You cannot even see the kingdom of God. You can hear about it and never see it. Nicodemus said to him, they're again using the natural understanding to try to figure out spiritual things and just doesn't work. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you. In other words, Jesus didn't even answer that. Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, some scholars say he's referring to a natural birth by water, and then also other scholars are talking about that he must be born of the water and of the spirit. Hang on to that because he could very well be speaking about being baptized into water. It's not the only thing for salvation, but it releases something to begin a further moving towards all that God has for you. Because in the Middle East terms, even in the Muslim nations, when a person is baptized in water, it says a signal, I'm at the point of no return. I'm not going back. It's a death, burial, and resurrection. For some people, water baptism is just what you do because that's what church says you are. But when one is born of the Spirit and of the water means I am dying to my old self and I'm never going back there to visit that grave again. And that's in, I remember uh, leading a a young Muslim guy to the Lord in um, Luskovic in uh, Serbia. And um, that night we were going to baptize him. We got saved that, received Christ that morning. That night he baptized me. And he told me, he said, my family will disown me from this point on. I said, you've considered the cost that have He said, yes, I have. The revelation of Jesus at that moment became so much greater than the revelation of what his family could do to him. So Jesus became bigger. His glory to him became bigger than what his family could do to him. That something happened inside of him that no longer will I fear man or fear family or fear people, but I'd rather fear God. So he said, unless you're once born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. One see and second enter into that. That which is born the flesh is flesh. That which is born as the spirit is spirit. Now in the very beginning in Genesis, when God tells uh, Adam and Eve, he says, of all the trees of the field, and actually he said this to Adam, Eve was not even created at that moment. Of all the trees in the garden, you can freely eat. Enjoy yourself. There's one tree, which God always gives us a choice. So the kingdom of God is about choices. So there's one tree that you cannot eat of, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, which means Gnosticism creates doubt and unbelief, and maybe, and I don't know, and I'm not sure, and and all kinds of double-mindedness comes into that place of the tree of knowledge. Sometimes we know way too much. I've been eating from the tree of knowledge about my circumstances and not eating of the tree of life that tells me about him. You'll have to get the tape. I can't say that again. You can tell where you've been eating by whatever you fear. Fear of the Lord or the fear of this world. Fear is a, a strong prophet. Fear will prophesy to you everything, the possibilities that will go wrong 
But the spirit of prophecy based on Jesus will tell you about what's ahead and what I have planned and promised you. So when, when Adam and then Eve comes along, she sees it, she takes the fruit. And because God told Adam, he said, the day that you eat this fruit, you'll die. The ironic issue was Adam lived 930 years. So did he die? He didn't die physically, but he died spiritually. Because at that moment, he became separated from God. So when God talks about death, he's talking about a separation from his presence. There is a natural death, but you can read in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about once someone who knows the Lord that they'll be resurrected and have eternal life with him. But separation from God means eternal death, which is hell itself. In other words, hang out with everybody you don't like down there. Separation from God. So when he says that you will die, it means that something dead inside of us is when I no longer feel the presence of God. They were driven out of the garden by an angel, cherubim, who's responsible for the glory of God, driven out, put flaming seraphim for uh, the swords there, turning every which way to guard the way to the tree of life, which eventually Jesus wants to bring us back to that place and is doing so. So what he understood that, that one can be born again, Adam was, lost his place with God was removed from the garden, removed from paradise, outside of the presence of God. The ground was not favorable to them. They had to work hard to get the ground to produce anything. Inside his presence, everything was already there. It just reproduced. Because in the presence of the Lord, Psalm 16, there's fullness. Outside of the presence of God, there is much laboring and much frustration. Even childbirth was difficult. Of course, they never had childbirth inside the garden, so we they have to be easier. So he tells us up front that when a person is separated from God, then it's not God's fullness or God's best and his promise for him. Now, there's an interesting verse in, in Hosea, the sixth chapter in verse three, and I believe this is the, the promise that he wants us to, to pursue in the idea of being born again. Verse three, let us know, let us pursue or follow on to one translation said, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter rain and the former rain. But the key said, let us follow on to know him, not just say, well, I remembered something about him and I'm good to go. But the word of following on means a continual pursuit going after who he is. I think this is the place where God's called Trinity Fellowship Church. I'm thankful for everybody. I'm not making any comparisons anyplace else. But as for me in this house, we're after his presence. We're pursuing him with all of our heart, mind, and strength. We're not going to stop at one place or one thing and say, you know, build three tabernacles and hang out here and it's been good and let's just maintain. I am, I'm bored with that. I would be bored with not, with not living in daily bread and having the meat of his word. So when the prophet says, follow on to know the Lord, that pursuit of the Lord, so then in that pursuit, the latter rain will come. The latter rain is always the rain that refers to the rain right before the harvest that helps just push the harvest into its fullness. There's the former rain that uh, causes the ground to be ready and prepared 
for the planting, and the latter rain is what causes the seed to germinate and bring it to its fullness. Notice he's saying, if you'll follow on to know him, he will be a finishing rain, a finishing presence on your life, and will bring to pass all that he promised you to do, but you have to follow on to know the Lord. <coughs> I was doing a funeral for a lady, and well, for her husband, I wasn't doing it for her. We were standing there at the casket, and which isn't my favorite thing to do at that time, though it was years ago. I'm not so bothered about it now. God has a way of de- delivering me from things that I don't want to have to deal with. <laughs> Long story, you'll have to get the book. And she's looking at him, and she's saying, he died way too young. And he was in his 80s. Now, I wasn't going to argue with her about that. I mean, that's not bad. You're never ready for someone that you love to leave. And I said, curiously, I said, why do you mean? She said, he had so many unfulfilled prophecies in his life. I said, you mean that everything that God spoke over him prophetically hasn't come to pass? She said, exactly. I didn't tell her because I didn't want to bust her bubble at that moment. But prophecy is not a mandate that, ha- that will have to be fulfilled. Prophecy is a proceeding word that we cooperate with. It is, I've given you the tree of life, but if you go eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, you have aborted what I've said to you. And you leave the presence of God, and now you are having to live life out of difficulty and other kinds of problems. But God intended that this proceeding word, when we cooperate with it and have a point of agreement and water that word and believe for it to happen and live life according to all that he said, not like, I'm going to do what I want to do, God, and if you want to fulfill that word, you know where I'm at, you can come get me. This guy died with a lot of unfulfilled words that way. But when God speaks to us and says, this is who you are calling, there has to be a point of agreement inside of our heart that says, yes. And I'm going to pursue after him, following on to know him, then he releases the latter rain. We prayed about the rain today, not till six o'clock. Hallelujah. We, we have a time release on that. So with the, when he say, follow on to know the Lord, as I know what he's said, but I have to follow along in a parallel way, agreeing with him to see it come to pass. So receiving a prophetic word does not mean it's going to happen regardless. No, it's not regardless. It is as one cooperates with the, with the prophetic word, which is Jesus. We'll get into that. So when he said one must be born again or he can't see or he can't enter the Lord, into the kingdom of God, that there's something happens when one is born again that's different than when that first day he said, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and, and, and now that I'm saved. But then I go out and do my, everything else I want to do and do my own thing I want to do, and so, but I'm saved. But I don't follow on to know him. That means that I may be saved, but I have not stepped into all the fullness that he has for me. Let me give you an example of that. It may not be a great one, but it'll be one. A guy marries a woman, said, now we're, we're married. I, you said I do, I said I do, and now we do what we want. So now the other ones, I can go do everything, anything I want to do, even though I made a covenant agreement. But now that we're married, I'm going to go do whatever I want to do, go find other women. I'm going to have everything, my time myself and do whatever I want to do because I'm married. The only thing that keeps you married is the fact is that you've kept the covenant. 
which I'm not going after other women and, you know, other lovers and pursuing my own thing. When Jesus talks about being born again, he's talking about entering into a covenant relationship with him in such a way that you get the benefits of who he is. You look in Luke 15, the prodigal son. He's a son after he spends all the inheritance and he's living in the pig pen. He's still a son. Cannot be a son. I mean, cannot disconnect with the son. But as a son, he's all the benefits he has, he has is the mercy that some pig will let him eat part of his food. He comes to his senses and he, he remembers that in my father's house, there are servants there that are doing better than I'm doing because they're in my father's house. He gets up and he returns back to father's house and he finds the full benefits in father's house. It's possible to be a son and not have any benefits, but with, as we live in father's house, which is under his covering and who he is, that we have the benefits of everything that he does and who he is. Because he oversees his own word to fulfill it and promise it. He is held to his word, but if we go off from his word, then the fact is we're saying, I made my own cho choice. I choose the tree of knowledge of good and evil as opposed to the tree of life. And I think we can eat from the tree of life on a regular basis. Look with me in the Matthew, the 11th chapter. <clears throat> Jesus gives a very stark contrast in this way. Matthew, the 11th chapter, in verse 11. Jesus is referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist's ministry was primarily one who's crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And his message was very simple, repent and be water baptized. John's, all of his ministry was about repentance and water baptism. In fact, there was even some question about that John was baptizing more people than Jesus than even the competitive ministry there. Jesus quickly put that to rest. But that was what John was called to do. All right, look at the rest of this. Verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, this is about John, among those born of women, there was not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Wow, what a compliment. <clears throat> Anybody that's been born of a woman, been natural birth, ladies don't get offended with that. Anyone that has had a natural birth, there's none greater than John. But, but, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, John. So Jesus said, there's none greater, but even the one least in the kingdom is greater than John. Because he's saying, one who enters into the kingdom is greater than the least one outside the kingdom. It's possible to be outside the kingdom of God and, and with being least and still, not, and still be a Christian. Because he makes a distinction between the kingdom of God and just one being saved. Again, I think a person saved, they haven't experienced any more than that, then I think they'll experience heaven at what level, I don't know. And that's not me for here to figure that out. But I think there's a place of pursuing on after the Lord in such a way that I'm pursuing everything that he has in for his promises or yes and amen to them that do what? Believe. If I believe that these promises are there, 
then I've got, I want to pursue after him because I believe that they're there. You write a check because you believe there's money in your bank, but have you ever gone there and checked and see if your money is in that vault? <coughs> no, by you just believe it is. His promises are in such a way that he's saying, if you believe me, you'll pursue and go after me. All right, look at the next part of this. He said, but he is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And from the days of John the Baptist, here's the transition, from the days of John the Baptist, who was great, until now, everything changes. Now, everything changes. Now, everything changes. At the point of this transition, everything has to change. When a person becomes born again, their salvation begins to change. Not the fact about heaven, don't misunderstand, but something changes where their hunger, their delight, and their desire to go after the Lord is different than, well, I'm in the kingdom. I may not be the greatest, but at least I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the kingdom. Well, Jesus said those who, have, those who are not born again can't even see the kingdom. John came preaching about it, repent, be water baptized. But Jesus now says there's another place besides water baptism and repentance, as great as that is, you don't get any farther until you start right there. But then there's something else to follow on to know him, and that is to enter into the Father's blessing, the kingdom of God, enter into the joy of the Lord. The word joy there literally means God's essence of who he is. Here's the rest of this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. He's not talking about military fight and resistance, not even talking about warfare in the heavenlies. He uses the word biazo, B-I-A-D-Z-O. You've heard him use it before. And the word literally means to crowd out. So the idea is when this king comes into, you and I, the kingdom, he crowds out everything that he didn't place there. He pushes out everything that's not of his. Anything that doesn't have his DNA, his touch on it, it can't coexist with him. You can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and serve the other or serve the one and hate the other. <clears throat> In other words, there's no middle ground, no double-mindedness. You can say, well, you know, I don't think it's all that bad. And, and I understand sometimes that we, we're not mature enough to allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction about that. So we just kind of hang around people that say it's okay and we agree with them. But the closer you start hanging around with Jesus, it's amazing how much, how picky he gets. Now, I'm not going to preach what the pickiness is. That's, you just have to allow the Holy Spirit. There's times in my life, a number of times growing up, and he said, you, you've outgrown that. Don't go back there. You don't have the right to throw a fit anymore. God, you took away the only weapon I had. He said, then trust me to fight you those battles. Instead, I'm blessing instead of cursing. Instead of hurting people and pushing people away, I want them to feel the goodness and the mercy of the Lord. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven up to now, John the Baptist, repent, be water baptized, and something happens now. Now there is a crowding out of everything inside, the kingdom of God is coming in and he's crowding out everything that's not of him. So he makes this distinction, they're saved and then, then born again is when he comes in and he crowds out everything else. 
It is a transitionary from, a, from salvation, as good as that is, and repentance as that is. And please don't mistake, I'm not saying no one that you're not saved. If you repented and asked the Lord to forgive your sins and bleed in your heart and confess to the Lord, you're saved. But I would be bored if that's all there was to it. I've got to follow on to know him. I want to understand his heart. I want to understand how all of the, he says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church. He just doesn't give it to someone who confesses the, the lordship and they go out and live in the world because they take and use the gifts against someone. I'll call fire down out of heaven. Thank you for that gift, God. But once we follow on to know his heart, then there's something about the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness. Leave one out. Long-suffering. All of those are there. This is the fruit of his nature. When we're born again, he crowds out all of the other stuff. That's the antithesis of love, joy, and peace. So being born again means I've come a little farther than before. Let me give you an example even further. I, I don't have a graphic to show you, but most of you remember the tabernacle of Moses, how it was laid out. There was an outer court that had the brazen altar, and the brazen altar did, dealt with nothing but dealing with sin. The sacrifice of the sin was, the uh, animal was there, fire was built there, the sacrifice was consumed. People could come around the brazen altar. So in some settings, saying, well, I've come to the brazen altar, got dealt with my sin, praise God, then, all right, go out to work. Go out and do the stuff. And yet, I find out there's a, there's a holy place in there that I never got to see. But if I knew all that I knew was that this dealing with the sin, and I became so sin conscious that every time I wake up in the morning, all I can see is sin. You're nothing but a rat ringed around and put chocolate on, make it look better. You're a bad dude. You're bad, 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 bad. Self-inspective because all I see is sin. But there's something about where the Holy Spirit gets involved and he leads us into the holy of holies and he says, now I want to show you another part of the Father. Now that you've cut off the sin and you've dealt with the sin, you've confessed it, now I want you to start confessing me, not just your sin. Doesn't mean that we never go back and deal with sin at times when we sin, but now you come up inside this tabernacle, this middle compartment, if you will, is the labor, which is the washing of the water of the word. I now want to have this relationship, know more about the Word of God than I ever knew before. And not just read about revelation, about what's going to happen in the end. I want to read about his relationship with me right now. Some people just want to wait to the back of the book and they miss the relationship in the middle that brings us to that. Because revelation is about Jesus. That's what it says in the very beginning. If I miss that experience of coming up to the table of showbread and the table of faces and there begin to find out that God is personal. I just thought out there on the brazen altar, he was only interested in one thing and that was to show me how bad I was. But now I find out the table of showbread, which is a bread of faces. It's who he is. That now I find out that he loves me, not because what I didn't do, but because of what he is getting ready to do as a symbolic gesture towards bringing us in closer. The incense is there, I, I find out I can pray. Before that, out, you don't have a right to pray. You're just a slave. You have no rights at all. But now all of a sudden, incense is there, which is right up against the veil. All this incense is wafting up, saturating the veil. The Bible tells us that the lifting up of our hands, the evening sacrifice, is like incense. 
and the incense going into heaven, and angels are there throwing in incense off of the table of incense there along with us casting it onto up there. So we have angelic help. But I didn't hear that out there. I didn't get that out there. But now I find out he wants to be very personable. There's the candlestick in there. There's the lampstand which brings revelation that now he wants to enlighten and open things up that I didn't know anything about. Because the tree of knowledge of good and evil makes me centered on what's happening in the world, but the tree of life makes me centered on what's happening in the throne room of God. Whoa. If all you did was get your news from the TV, or however you got it, and you never connect with the throne room of God, then you may be eating from a tree that brings about, maybe God's not saying that. Maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe it's going to be something different. And we get confusion. Where confusion, the Bible says, there's every evil work. People are more fearful now than they ever have been. I remember seeing a black and white 16 millimeter film in our church when I was just a boy, probably 10 or 12 years old. And it was a Nazi concentration camp there in Auschwitz. Diane and I have been to Auschwitz twice. Doesn't get any easier in time of gum. And they were showing the oven, showing these emaciated people. You've seen that footage on TV at times. It was the Holocaust. All I could think was, and I told my mother, I said, are they coming here? Are they coming to get me? And she said, oh, that happened, you know, many years ago in another country. Well, if they did it there, they can do it here. And something gripped my heart. And she said, no, Jesus, Jesus wants to look, protect you. He doesn't want that to happen. It gave me a sense of peace so that my whole mind wasn't dealing with that's going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen. When we spend our time steady diet of fearing what may happen, we miss of what he's doing right now. Romans says that things present are things to come. Paul didn't say things of the past. He's saying things present and things to come. If I miss having relationship with Jesus in the present, I may miss understanding what is things to come. But if all I do is think about what's to come and I miss the present tense as he is, so are we in this present world, then I miss miss a lot of blessing. It's like telling your kid when he's 10 years old, you know, you're going to have to go out and work hard and you're not going to have, you're going to starve to death. You're not going to be, no one's going to make a living to you and it's going to be really bad for you and then, then you get to die. And the kid said, what's there to write? What have I got to look forward to? Because you've missed the present time is, I want you to know, I just want you to know me as your father. Don't worry about it. You don't even have to know where your next meal is coming from. You don't have to worry about all of that. That'll take care of itself in the time. Just be ready. I'll train you and get you ready for that time. But I don't want you to miss the relationship with me right now. Let me move on. So Jesus said, there's a place of the least of the kingdom, and then there's one greater in the kingdom. Now, in Acts, the first chapter, in verse 5, Luke is the, re- the writer, and I think he's bringing us some insight into this. It's right before the day of Pentecost, and he says to them, go wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Any Jewish culture understood promise has something to do with 
with, we'd call it today like a will, your promissory note, your a will to be read. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, what's that? But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He just didn't say, man, everything John did was great, be happy for that, and wait till I come back and get you. He's saying, that was a good baptism, what John did, none greater than that, but I'm telling you, there's another baptism coming that is better than being least in the kingdom, because when the Holy Spirit comes, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, and we find another place, he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire fire. In other words, it'll give a passion upon your heart. So when you worship the Lord, there's fire on the altar and you're honoring and blessing the Lord is coming off your heart. And like, well, Lord, we, we bring the sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. 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 That's enough. You don't overdo it. God's busy. <laughs> but when you have a passion in your heart to worship him and you have revelation of who he is and how big he is, how great he is, something happens to where there's a fire and passion in your heart is that is as if the first time you realized you were in love and you couldn't get enough of them, you, you want to talk to them day and night, you want to be around them, you want to do things together, you thought about them all day long, there's a fire in your heart. Fire shut up in your bones. When the Holy Spirit comes, he wants to refresh that and refurbish that inside of us so that we don't get bored with just doing church but we start having a refresher course of him. <coughs> okay. He's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, John 15. Jesus starts out, great chapter. Everybody you should memorize John 15. It starts out, unless you abide in me. Not just come and visit every once in a while and then just leave. Not that we're just relatives. How many have relatives that when they need something, they show up and say, hey, I remember the good old days. Jesus talking abide, which means pitch your tent, put your address right there and don't move it. Abide in me as a branch cannot bear fruit or produce anything, which is of his, his fruit line, his lineage, unless it abides in the vine. So stay in the vine. Then if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, live, dwell, exist, decisions makes is made because of the word that's in us, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you by my Father, which is glorified, that you bear much fruit. He's not talking to slaves here or servants. He's really talking about a level of sonship. Because a slave has their needs taken care of, but they have no inheritance. For people that are just saved, for a lot of them, all they know to do is ask the Lord, just pay my light bill, will you? They don't talk to him much, but then all of a sudden I have a need and I run back in. I need, I need you to heal me. But Jesus saying, I want you to live in such an expectancy and such a place in him that you're not asking him just based on neediness, but you're asking him based on abundance. If, you give, if he gives us abundance, the idea is not just to take care of the needs, but out of the abundance, you'll have something for other people. I want your 
cup to overflow, if you will. Not just to say, me and my four no more, but I want to fulfill for you, but overfill to other people as well. Paul even uses that illustration. Or pick it up in verse 15. Verse 11, excuse me. These things I've spoken to you that my joy, you can say your joy, my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. In other words, we don't have any joy outside of him. His joy fills us up and now it's our joy that you may be full of his joy. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. The context is changing. He's talking about friends now. You know a friend if they're willing to lay down their life and go the distance. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Sometimes people being saved, they never follow on to know what the word of God says and don't even know that they're operating in the commandments of the Lord or operating out of just what they feel is gut instinct. So he said to them, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, here's the kicker. No longer do I call you servants. Servants wasn't bad, but they had their needs taken care of. They didn't lack for anything, but they had no future inheritance with the householder or who they were serving. I don't call you servants any longer. At one time, maybe it was. In other words, you were leased, but now you're changing into fullness. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You know that you move beyond just being a servant of the Lord to a friend of the Lord when you start hearing what he's speaking and saying to you about what he wants you to do. A servant doesn't get any inside information. I understand sometimes people get inside information that they didn't get from the Lord. But he's saying, I'm calling you friends because I want you to know everything that the Father has spoken to me. It all filters through Jesus. But if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I don't know what the Father's doing. You can't bypass Jesus and understand what God's doing. You didn't choose me. For all things I've heard my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, in my name, in my name, he will give it to you because servants don't have a right to even ask. But now as friends, it comes into a whole other level. Here's, here's the point that I want us to take away today. There's a place in the Lord that he wants to guide us and direct us into so that knowing him, understanding his heart, that we see prayers answered. We say the joy of the Lord happens in our life. We have solutions. We have understanding. How do we deal with problems instead of just, you know, caving in and falling apart? How do we magnify his name instead of magnifying the problem? We understand it because as a friend of the Lord, then we understand this is God's plan. He says in another place when his disciples were saying, Lord, how come you've been using parables to all these other religious folks? But with us, you're very plain. And he said, to you, it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To them, I have to talk to them in secretive language. But for you, I want to tell you directly. 
I want to be a friend of God. And that's just not when I have a need, but every day I want to have talk, I want to have a conversation with him. How do you get to know him? Is I want to have a conversation. I want him to tell me how he feels about it, the decisions I've made. How do you view this? How do you feel about my attitude? How will you want me, oh Lord, to approach in this situation? Instead of being reactionary, I just want to say, Father, what's your will concerning this? Here's what I, I love this part because he said in John, the 16th chapter, verse 13, when Jesus saying, when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. Who's he talking to? These are those who have moved way past of being least in the kingdom. These are the ones that's been in the upper room. There was 500 people to start out in the upper room. 380 peeled off and only 120 were left over. We don't know what happened later on after that for them, but we do know that the 120 people that waited on the Lord was empowered with the power of the Holy Spirit, which I don't have time to go back in. It was the reading of the will of the Father because what he gave to Jesus was the nations, and then he says, the promise of the Father, and the firstborn son receives first the inheritance. So this is saying, this is my heart, my inheritance. Now I want to empower you to go gather the inheritance of the nations. Jesus goes on and he gathers the, the 12, and then he, later on he gathers the 70, and he sends them out, and he says, I give you authority over every unclean thing. You're going to cast demons out, heal the sick, heal the lepers, blind eyes are going to open. These things are going to happen because you've been with me. It just wasn't because you prayed a prayer. You followed on to know me, and this is what I'm doing. What I am doing what the Father sent me to do, now I send you to do it. I think so. It's more than semantics. If you just think, well, it's semantics of word, that's fine. But there's a place that everything changes when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Revelation comes. Something understanding comes in a greater dimension level that now I have a new way of communicating to my Father using the language, the glossalia of heaven. And you find that Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he led them outside of town and he breathed on them. And scholars will tell you that the, when he breathed on them, that the original says, he gave them the Father's name. Yahweh. Yahweh. It wasn't any breathing in, it was breathing out. I'm now giving you the Father's name because you're not just slaves, you're friends. You have the right to conduct the business of the family. something that happens in the spirit realm that goes way beyond that. Hebrews, the first chapter, talks about, I think, this transition. God, at various times, in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. In the Old Testament, all they had was the prophets and the Torah, the Torah to, to relate to. But he says, in these last days, when are the last days? Resurrection of Jesus. Everything changed. In the last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Who's his son? His word made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory. 
So the word is not just this thing written on paper. It was his son that embodied us. And now Christ in you, the word is inside of you to do something miraculously. But if all I know is simply, well, I'm saved. That's good enough for me. And I miss this whole experience of the inner court. But now when he, the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide me into all. He's going to take me behind the veil into the holy of holies. And there the glory of the Lord, the mercy seat, and all that it entails is there. He's not just going to take us halfway. Those who are led by the Spirit are called what? The sons of God. Not the servants of the Lord. Now, the sons of the Lord have a position, but what they do is serving They serve from the position of being a son, not serve from the position of, if I don't serve, I don't get to eat. That's not what he's saying. They serve as a son of the house because they want to bring pleasure and glory to the Father. They trust the Father. They're not worrying about where the next meal is coming from. In the last days, it's spoken to us from his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. How did he make the world? He spoke the word. Jesus, the word, was there present in creation. He said, I'm giving you my son, so now that my son can speak through you, something creative begins to happen. But servants, slaves, don't have that opportunity. They live out of fear. They live out of just neediness. But sons live from glory to glory. Who Jesus, being the brightness and the glory and express image of the person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Now his word has been, his power has been translated into you and I. Because the Bible said, we've been born again, not saved, been born again by incorruptible word. What is the incorruptible word? Jesus, the son. This incorruptible word that was there in creation has now found a place of dwelling inside of us and he wants to have communion and fellowship on a daily basis. Not what I heard 20 years ago. You can be a scholar 20 years ago, but what is he saying right now? Do not live by what bread you used to eat. It's by this day, this day. Give me this day daily bread. He upholds all things by the word of his power. When Jesus took his blood into the heavens, Find the Hebrews in 9, verse 22. And he placed his blood on the mercy seat. That means the ransom was paid for all time, and then it was transferred into you and I, his, his account and his presence into those. And he's saying, you've been born again, not with just doctrine. You've been born again with incorruptible seed that cannot be reversed. His blood is incorruptible. His seed cannot be replaced, cannot be corrupted. The first Adam fell in his garden. The second Adam overcame in his garden. And his seed cannot be corrupted or changed. We can move away from it, but his incorruptible seed remains forever. Psalms 119 says, Thy word, O Lord, is settled in the heavens forever. It is settled law, if you will. It cannot be reversed. It can't be changed. It is a living, breathing letter. It's not a document it is a live gifting force, the Ruach of God. 
Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, the words I speak, they are spirit and they're life. They're not vocabulary. They're not linguistic. It's spirit and they're life. When Jesus spoke that day, there was 500 left him over that, one, over that teaching. Jesus had a falling away of 500 people in one day. So today, by today's standard, we say, man, Jesus wasn't a very good preacher, was he? He lost 500 people in one statement. And the statement was, unless you eat my blood, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. They go, I'm out of here. Because they could not hear with the hearing of the Spirit. Slaves hear out of the natural, fleshly, What's my, what am I getting out of this? How is this going to benefit me? Sons hear by the Spirit of the Lord. That which is spirit is spirit. In the Old Covenant, they lived by what God said through the prophets and through the Torah. He said in the last days, they're living by the Son, by the word that comes through the Son. The Old Testament was the Logos said word of God. We have the Graphe written. Logos is what he said. It's in there. But when we operate as sons under the Lord, we operate in the rhema of God. What's God saying through you right now? When you pray, we know what God said, but we take that what he said and becomes our life-giving source as a son inside of us. And we say, Lord, your word says, and I believe in my heart as a son that I was adopted into your kingdom. Therefore, I stand in that word and say, this, it will be done. This will be done. But if I'm a slave, I say, I don't know, I don't know. But when your son says, I've been with him, and the Holy Spirit inside of me says, that's the truth. I'm going to guide you into all truth. Not into opinion. There's things that I may have opinions on. They're not worth 15 cents. I'm not going to bet my life on my opinion. But I'm going to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Revelation 19.10. The spirit of prophecy, Ramah saying, is the testimony of Jesus. Jesus is testifying what is he saying right now, right now. At the moment, there's revelation of Jesus being the healer. Not just, I know it doctrinally, and I've heard testimonies. But when you know that you know that you know inside of you, that revelation brings itself manifestation, you're healed. If I only know it doctrinally, that's hearsay. You want to stand up in a court of law. But when you hear it in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, he's the advocate, the parakletos, who comes alongside, and he says, tell the Father, the Son, purchase your healing. It's the children's bread. Oh. And when you do that, the revelation has now become alive, not just something that was said, but now he's saying it. Saying it. Bottom line. Again, you're happy with being saved and you know it, say amen. <laughs> but I, I want to know him. I will know everything that the Father has bestowed upon him and given for us. I want to know his heart. I want to know his love. I want to know the character. I want to know his nature. I don't want to miss out on anything. The more I study this book, the more I find out how little I know about him. 
pure one says, I've studied this book and I know all about it is, that means you're ignorant of who he is. Don't be offended of that. But simply as he is continually unfolding himself, his ways are past finding out, but I get to try. Moses, there's a place by me, and I don't want you to miss out, but I'm going to provide a place for that. In the new covenant, there's a place near me that I want to show you everything, and that's in the Son. Not as a slave, but as a friend to the Son, the bridegroom, and hear everything he has to say. So, Father, today, the cry of our heart is that I may know you, and the fellowship of your sufferings, that I might be made conformable unto your death. Kill inside of us everything that opposes your nature. Would you kill everything inside of us that says my will, not your will? Would you stop, O oh Lord, my own mental capacities of trying to conform you to my image? Would you help me, Lord, to be free of what I think you should be and allow you to become the Lord of every part of every thought? And I'm not going to live out my resume of what it was 20 years ago. I want to live in what you say right now, what you say right now. To be present with you in this moment is greater than every moment I've ever had in the past. I can't live in the past, but I want to live into the righteousness, peace, and the joy of the Lord right now. You can have a bad day. Say, but there's a better day coming because he's got a place for me. Where he will be, he said, there you may be also. Times will bad things will happen, come and go, get over it, get past it, move on. Well, I got hurt one time in church, yo, join the club. If I use that excuse, I would not even be here today. First 10 years of ministry, it was a daily occurrence. Thankfully, back in the early days, there was no email. It had to wait till they sent me letters. So I had three days to get over the last thing they, the last one sent me. Now, Jesus, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. If they've done it to you, they'll they do it to me. Good company. So Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will come and draw us out of the outer court of just being happy with what happened at first time. Even first love takes me to a greater love. Even that moment to where that I realized you died for my sin is to take me into your arms. So I pray for revelation to revelation, glory to glory, that you'd show forth your goodness and your loving kindness. We want to follow on to know you so that the latter rain. We're looking for revival. We're looking, oh God, for a move of the Spirit of the Lord that your glory is going to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And so because we're looking for it, we have hope and joy. I feel sorry for people that are not looking for it. They're looking for gloom and doom. If it happens, my, the joy of the Lord will take me through. I can be like Noah and ride it out. So 
be on my own cruise. But your presence is fullness. You're more than enough. There's nothing in this world that literally has any value that lasts. I'm not looking for a temporary aspirin to fix my boo-boo. I'm looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher. My face, stand with me. We're getting ready to have some fun. <laughs> Maybe that'll be fitting after you've listened to me. <laughs> I need to get out there and have some fun now. The fire in my heart is that you would go after him with all of your heart, your mind, and strength. You would love him more than anything, any opportunity, any door that anybody could open to you. The devil has a way of disguising things to make it look good. God doesn't have to disguise it. He just opens himself up and says, this is what you get. The ministry team to come down and, and if you need to go and change clothes, you're welcome to do that. But if you're, there's something inside of you that resonates this morning that says, I want to know him more. Maybe you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that revelation, being able to communicate with him in a different way and come into a greater love with him. And there's people here that will pray with you love to pray with you but don't settle don't settle don't just settle in and say well that's good enough for me he brought you to that point for not for settling he brought you to that point and says get what you need there go beside the still waters now let me take you through the valley of the shadow of death and show that I can take you through any situation because I have a table for you prepared at the high, high place. But you've got to go through there to get there.